Hello everyone, this is Sake welcoming you to another episode of Tennis with an Accent, brought to you in our collaboration with RadioInfluence.com. Today is a is a huge day for me because uh, you know you all have listened to me talk about my tennis roots starting from my days in New Delhi in India, and today's guest is a special guest. Uh, it's granted that everyone who comes to this show is out of my league, but this is like a personal favorite because I grew up reading a lot of Rohit Brijnath's work on tennis and cricket, and it's kind of a very surreal feeling to have him on the podcast today. Uh, welcome, Rohit. So kind of you. I know you're not feeling well uh, to join us from early morning in Singapore. Uh, really appreciate this. Hey, thanks for having me. You're already embarrassing me, but <laughs> let, let, yeah, let's go. No, no, it's not an embarrassment. I'll, I'll bring, uh, you know, more of those memories as uh, this conversation uh, evolves. I know you are, uh, for us, uh, the generation who grew up reading Sports World, which was a weekly publication. You brought the likes of Becker and uh, Graf and Lendl to our living rooms when India was, you know, embracing tennis and we have very minimal coverage. But let's talk about what you are doing now. How close are you to the sport and how many tennis uh, tournaments do you cover uh, if you do cover tennis at that level anymore? Actually, I, I do very few. I go to the Australian Open every year, so I, I make sure I, I do at least one slam. And I like I, I particularly like going for the first slam of the year. I, I like it when the season opens. Uh, there's something very beautiful about it. And yeah, I'm a bit of a romantic, so I like the whole idea of, you know, people, you know, with new coaches and new dreams and, you know, new everything and see what happens. So I do that. And then uh, I do... Uh, now and then a couple of tournaments in Asia towards the end of the year, but more because the WTA Championships was held in Singapore. And so not very much, but obviously I watch and, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I have, uh, I'm fascinated by great athletes, uh, in turn by, you know, people like Michael Jordan, Mike, uh, Michael Phelps, uh, Roger Federer. I am always interested in what makes exceptional players. I mean, it's it's obviously something we can't particularly answer because we can't really look in their heads. And I don't think exceptional athletes are always good at explaining what makes them exceptional. So it's a great journey to keep watching them and, you know, finding little hints about what makes them great. And uh, I like that. I, I really, really enjoyed the era of Federal. Let me put it that way. So let, let, let me pick on something what he said, exceptional athletes. So in tennis, I think for the last... More than a decade, it has been an exceptional era. Uh, along with Federer, there's been Nadal and Novak Djokovic and uh, Andy Murray. So we've we've uh, we've been quite privileged to see this kind of uh, you know uh, tennis royalty exist together. Before that, uh, uh, there was you know the John McEnroe and Pete Sampras, different eras. But uh, this collection of four players in your covering of tennis, uh, what do you think? Uh, and why do you think they stand out so so much? Is the competition not as good, or they are just supremely above everyone else? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm always wary of sort of rubbishing the competition because it's not fair. Uh, I think Stan Warrington might have a few things to say about that. But I, I think it's more that these guys are just, you know, just standout players. I think that, I think I'm always impressed by the ability to keep a certain level through the year. And, you know, what I always find that interesting about athletes that, you know, I'm sure, you know, there are times that they you're not in a good mood. You're not feeling too well. You, you're not timing the ball that well. But you know, still they 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 have this ability, this massive pride uh, uh, to keep picking themselves up, to keep playing at a certain level. Okay, but I want to uh, just stop here for a moment. 
while they are fantastic to watch, and for me, obviously, Federer and Nadal, the the uh, from a writer's point of view, the contrast is obviously so important in personality and in style of play. But there's no question in my mind. If you ask me, I went to. I was really lucky. I had a boss in Calcutta who loved tennis, and so I went to my first Wimbledon in 1987 when I was, I think, 23. And I definitely preferred that era of tennis. If you ask me, just as theatre. Because, in fact, I was just talking about it to Todd Bridge yesterday, who was in Singapore. And, I mean, I, I, I like Servant Bolly. Uh, and there was, you know, I think even the second-level players are very interesting. Miroslav Mishir, you know, beautiful player. There was Leconte, there was Chang. There were, there were so many different types of players. There was Tim Mayotte. And I, I like the chipping and charging of it. And I think when I went, it was towards, I mean, Connors and McEnroe were still playing towards the end of their careers. So that was really fun. Uh, I remember going to see a McEnroe match. I can't remember which one. One of my early matches, you know, and the first point he goes to the net and drop volley, forehand drop volley. Second point goes to the net, backhand drop volley. I mean, that is just, you know, that sort of stuff you're never going to see again. Oh, I hope maybe we will. But uh, so I, I, I like that generation of tennis best because I found a whole range of players. Uh, now, the baseline stuff sometimes gets on my nerves a little bit. I mean, what I admire is these people as athletes also. I think the modern modern players are great, great, great athletes. And, and I follow because I go to the Olympic Games and Asian Games and I follow other sports as well. So I can see how tennis players have grown as athletes and it's quite impressive. No, I think I uh, fully agree with you. This era, as talented and as disciplined they are, there's so much more information, so much more data, how to train. And uh, every... Every top player has, you know, multiple coaches. The way to train, the scheduling is, you know, such a, players are visionaries now to play longer. You know, they're playing less. And uh, Federer is a pretty young 37-year-old. And Djokovic, who's going to be 32 soon, is uh, not looking to slow down. He, he looks like he just restarted his dominance. So, yeah, tennis is, has gotten older from the days you're talking about because Wimbledon 87 is one of my uh, early memories when Pat Cash won and Becker lost to Duhan. So let me just ask about you, uh, since you covered uh, those championships and even tennis uh, in late 80s to early 90s, and I'm, I know everybody's talked about this at length, uh, the racket chain, the string technology, the balls, uh, but how hard was uh, Becker and Cash, how hard were those guys playing compared to what you see today? I mean, they, I, I just like that type of athleticism. Uh, as I said, these guys nowadays are terrific athletes. You know, their, their endurance and their speed is amazing. But they, those guys, I mean, you know, Pekka was a big guy, you know, and you used, used to get to the net pretty fast. A net play just brings a certain type of athleticism, which is really beautiful to watch, you know. Uh, you know, whether you're um, Edberg, you know, I loved Edberg. You know, I loved the way that he volleyed. I loved his fluidity. Didn't so much like his serve, but, uh, or his forehand. And, uh, but I love these guys in the net. I just, I just like that. I like, I think maybe because I grew up in, uh, India and, you know, Vijay Amritraj and, you know, all these guys used to serve in, uh, serve in volley. And of course, in Calcutta, where I grew up, is a very famous club, uh, which of course you know, called the South Club, which of course loves to boast that, or loved to boast that, you know, in some years it had better grass than Wimbledon. And so everybody there used to play seven volley. I mean, everybody that I knew, you know, and the old uh, old timers, uh, Indian old timers, Jaydeep Mukherjee, Premjit Lal, there was Naresh Kumar, and all these guys. They, that's what they played. They played with these little slices and chips and dinks and. Drop volleys and stop volleys and half volleys. And I almost think that 
half of the vocabulary of the game doesn't even exist anymore. You know, it's just disappeared. And uh, yeah, it used to be called lawn tennis, right? <laughs> yeah, and they play so many shots. You don't see so many of those shots anymore. You know, it's like uh, as I said, you know, it's like half the vocabulary of the game is gone. You know, you 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 are only playing a, uh, you know, you're standing in the baseline and hammering away occasionally, come to the net just maybe to finish a point occasionally. But uh, I I really liked Sissipas's uh, defeat of Federer in Melbourne because I felt that you know. I think he put Federer off, in fact, by coming uh, to the net or just coming in and he's got a big reach and not easy to lob. And I like that. Just made the game more fun to watch. Hmm. So let's stay in that era for some more time. I know uh, I said that, that um, especially we have a lot of Indian listeners here as well or Indians who are living abroad and uh, they can relate to your writing days uh, back in the time when we were consuming tennis through mainly Sports Star and Sports World magazines and we had a handful of maybe 10 to 11 live matches a year till Prime Sports, the international cable company, started showing tennis. Uh, I think 91 US Open was the first one when we got our first major. So as a young writer who was also a tennis fan that's why you got into it and tennis was one of your first loves like you mentioned so did you feel like uh, that was an era when t- tennis uh, really transcended to a different uh, audience level in India uh, with the Becker Graf days and uh, because I felt that as a fan but again as a young person you think that's the world you live in and everybody else is following tennis what was your uh, memory and recollection of that time like was tennis really taking off in India so I would say that obviously you know the like anywhere else, you know, the growth of media, media always makes a difference in, you know, the way news is transported to different places. I mean, in those days, uh, you know, we had three sports magazines. You had Sports Week, you had Sports World, you had Sports Star, right? So, you know, there, there was there was a lot of information available on a weekly basis. Now, none of those magazines, of course, exist anymore. But I feel that even my father's generation, my father is really the one who introduced me to tennis. I'll always remember there used to be a small cupboard in my, uh, just next to the front door of my house where my father's sporting equipment used to be. And he used to have this wooden Schlesinger racket and it was in a press. And I always used to wonder what it was. And I remember going to watch him play and he, I'll never forget, he, he used to serve like they used to in the old days with one foot on the ground. It was quite elegant actually in a way. And uh, so I think my father is the one who took me to Davis Cup for the first time. I remember watching John Alexander and Bob Gillitton in, in the South Club. And uh, so I think tennis was big for him. I mean, he always told me uh, with no disrespect to Ramesh, he always used to tell me, no, 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 no. Ramanathan is much greater than Ramesh. I said, okay, dad, if you insist. <laughs> so, which is, which is probably true actually and right. But so there's, I think the national championships in India was still a big deal because Ramanathan was playing and all these guys I mentioned, Jadeep and Pranjit and, you know, who, I mean, Jadeep had got to the fourth round of Wimbledon, I think, four times, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, these were, these were decent level players and uh, they, were, they, they, they played a lot of good doubles as well. And uh, so I think there was definitely in India love for tennis because we'd been to, okay, now I hope I don't get my dates wrong. We'd been to the Davis Cup final in 66, was it? And then, of course, again in 74. 87. And then again in 87. So, you know, we we, we loved Davis Cup, you know, which is, of course, why Leander became a a star in the early days initially. So, I think Dennis was there. But yes, I think you're right that, you know, this... Becker, I think, you know, I think Becker changed so many things for so many people. You know, he was just this, this incredibly charismatic character. I mean, I don't... I can't think of... I'm trying to think of generations after Becker 
maybe Agassi, who was maybe okay, not as much loved in the early years, but he had his own charisma. But I think Becker definitely is the most charismatic figure that I can remember in tennis. And I was a bit lucky because I worked for Sports World magazine, which was part of the larger Ananda Bazaar Patrika group in, in, in Calcutta. And they, we had a great library and we had a great librarian. His name was Shakti Roy. Anybody from that uh, era or from this era knows him because he was such a, a brilliant librarian is something that we don't speak about enough. So we used to get, you know, the New York Times uh, on disc. And so he used to have all these days and then I would have to, because where do you get information from? Where do I know about Becker and who's coaching Becker and what did Becker say? And, you know, the newspapers had very little coverage. So you had to go through all the shoes of New York Times, you know, one by one by one by one looking for, you know, information because we were just dying for information. We just didn't have any, you know. Uh, just about, you know, just different characters that uh, were involved in sports. So I have to thank the New York Times for... Uh, a lot of the education that I got in tennis. I can't remember who used to write on tennis at that time. And then, of course, later I read a lot of Sports Illustrated. Uh, Curry Kirkpatrick, I think it was, uh, who used to write on tennis. And, you know, uh, now, of course, John Wertheim. But all these things are very important in my education because it was not easy to get. I mean, even tennis books. I'm trying to think if I even owned any tennis books. Well, like, the only one I can remember is by Rex Bellamy, the English writer, who was my great favorite. Uh, it's you know it's so fitting that you're imparting this knowledge in a very formal platform. So we were t we were taking me and my friend Anand, who started this podcast with me a long time ago, and now is produced by Radio Influence. But uh, we were looking up to you weekly basis, you know, to know what the Becker Ian Tiriak relationship is, what Lendl is consuming for diet, and we were consuming through you, and you were consuming from New York Times and those archives. So it's such a fascinating. I mean, I find some yeah. some, some closure. It's like very meaningful that you're sharing this here. I don't know if others going to enjoy this but uh, yeah I mean I used to listen to sports uh, news in India at 7.05 p.m. in Hindi and 8.05 p.m. Uh, in English. It was a five minute capsule and they covered tennis and I was just like a, such a geek. I never missed it for years and it would be a difference between uh, getting the news of Stockholm Open semi-final and the second semi-final and uh, that's how we were consuming tennis and you were like such a mainstay. So let's uh, take this conversation a little further by Becker. And, uh, and I think you are absolutely right. Becker not only reached out to audience out, outside of Germany, because Tim Mayotte, who was here on the podcast a few months ago, said Becker in the late uh, 80s and early 90s was as big as Michael Jordan was in the States. And none of the tennis players in America, uh, since I've been living in America for the last 23 years, have been this big. I mean, US Open, if you go to uh, Miami or Indian Well, looks like it's a tennis craze nation. But outside of that, tennis only works in certain pockets. And I don't think even American tennis players were as huge as in America, uh, like what Federer and Nadal have become. So in, in, in one way, tennis has become very international. But uh, the Becker example, really, I think uh, uh, you, you hit on something very important that some of uh, today's generation uh, tennis fans don't know, like how big Becker and Graf were in, you know, transcending tennis to markets outside of, uh, you know, your usual tennis nations. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think I was really lucky. I mean, graph, as you say. I mean, look, the, the, in any sport, the present day is always more important than any anywhere else. I, I just I just enjoy history. I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, I'm just going off on a little tangent here. One of the things I was uh, chatting about with Todd Woodbridge yesterday was, I said, you know, somebody needs to do a book 
on that great generation of Australian players, you know, of uh, Leva and Emerson and Sedgman and Rosewall, and you know, they they're all in their eighties and. I, I I have some of their books. I have Lever's book and I have Rosewall's book, but I don't have any book on that era, which, you know, my father used to talk to me about and whatever I've read. And, you know, I read uh, Alan Trengrove's brilliant history of the Davis Cup. And, you know, these were astonishing, astonishing. And it was a, just a different era. I read that book, A Handful of Summers, which is probably the best book I've ever read on tennis. And I think somebody needs to write a book before these guys disappear on that era, you know, because I think history is important. I, I also, I'm, I'm a big reader and, um, I was just flicking through uh, the book on uh, God Baron Gottfried Ron Cram the other day, A Terrible Splendor, which is just brilliant. It's just one of the better tennis books that I've read. And um, so I think, you know, we, we shouldn't forget our history. I, I, I don't know if I've read a really good book on Pekka, but I don't know. I, I can't remember nothing off the top of my head or whatever. But we shouldn't forget our history because history, you know, obviously gives the game a context and, you know, tells us where the game has come. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, various characters, of course. So just uh, staying with that era for one more question and then we'll move further because uh, we don't want to waste too much. Uh, not waste, we don't want to spend too much on the 80s. I think I want to pick your brain throughout your coverage of majors. But going back to the Becker-Lendl era, how was the press room environment and how often you spoke to these guys? And uh, part three of this question can be Ivan Lendl. Now he's known in modern era as like the coach who doesn't smile. He's making news with Murray. Now he's uh, the mentor of uh, Sasha Zverev. So what do you recall of your uh, press room uh, interactions with Ivan Lendl and how much of a how, how much of a mystery he was to the press. Uh, like there was not much, you know, love coming out of the press for him back in the day. You know, I remember even SI Illustrated once even saying an article, the champion who nobody yeah, cared yeah. about. So just which, walk which, us through your Becker and Lendl memories from the press rooms. Okay, so so I I think that you know it, when I was just a. 23-year-old from Calcutta at Wimbledon, I, I I felt like a misfit. I felt out of place, you know. I I, I, I almost felt like I didn't belong. And uh, so I think we were just, uh, I think it was the first time I'd ever gone out to cover any type of event. And obviously, I'm, I, I was in awe of these guys. I mean, I'm not in awe of them anymore. And I wasn't uh, a long time ago. But at that time, I was in awe of them. And uh, that's so there was no way that a guy from Sports World Calcutta is going to get like five minutes with Boris Becker. It was not happening. And uh, but it was just fun to see them. I found Lendl actually quite funny. I found him very dry. You know, I, I found he had this dry humor, which 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 I enjoyed. I thought that Sports Illustrated article was, in my opinion, terrible. I think it was. A uh, little bit of, uh, you know, this East European player who, uh, I think, not all, but some journalists did not just understand. And uh, so, I mean, he was an easy target. I mean, he wasn't, the, he wasn't the, you know, he was this stiff guy and he talked English in his own way. Why not? And uh, so I thought he was an easy target. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't like Becker. Becker was more a different type of character. So was Edberg. But I can't tell you too much because I never got time to meet them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And I have this story. I'm not going to mention who. There, there was one of the top players at that time who I met on the staircase at Wimbledon. So I asked him, uh, I made uh, any chance of an interview and I was told to 
well, F off. <laughs> so that, that 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 made me smile. So it was okay. I was, look, this happens to journalists all the time. It's so not a big deal. But anyway, but it was funny for a for a twenty something year old. So did, uh, so did you cover other majors besides Wimbledon uh, when you were a young man? Uh, I, know I went. Co- I went. I went to two French Opens, which I actually, to be honest, fell in love with. I really enjoyed uh, the French Open in those years and in the years that I went I'm trying to remember 1991 <laughs> Bit pathetic, but still. Did you chip and charge? <laughs> I did not dare. You probably <laughs> drill a hole right through me even now. I love, you know, I thought, I thought she's, I mean, because of what happened and because Graf won so many slams, I think, you know, we just look at Celes in a different manner. But I, I thought she was, I thought she was the greatest player for me. All right, so we'll sure. talk a little more about Graf and Celes, but uh, one more parting question on Lendl because I remember from your writing days and my reading days back in India, and it's no, it's, it's an open, you know, it's no secret. Lendl's obsession with Wimbledon. I think if there was actually a tennis card, he should have gotten lucky once. So what do you remember of that, you know, those that period when he was just coming in second? He was losing semifinals to Becker and Edberg, lost two finals. Has there been like mm. another case in tennis where one guy has chased a title so elusively and fallen short? Maybe uh, maybe Sampras at the French Open, but I don't yeah, think but he never came level. close, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, not to that level. He never came close. So it's, I think he had one semi. That's it. And he had one year where he had a couple of good five set wins, and then you know, by, I think he was out of gas by the time he got to the semis. Yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying, I think he was chasing it in his head. But yes, he never got uh, close enough. I'm trying to think. Bob, obviously, at the U.S. Open for sure. No, no, I think I, Bob I, I, the U.S. No, that, Rohit, what that, I'm trying that, to say is even Roddick lost three Wimbledon finals, but I think Lendl's obsession, like when he was the best player in the world, he skipped French yeah. Open two years in a row. He came with a new yeah. racket and everything he did uh, just wasn't good enough. So I remember those days and, you know, you're writing. So that's why I brought that up. Yeah, but I love the story about Borg in the US Open when I think maybe was it the last one that he lost against Connors, the one where he just left the court. He just he, left the court yeah. and disappeared. But... I think the funny thing was that, uh, so, so I was obviously a great McEnroe fan because everybody was a fan because McEnroe was a rebel and, you know, we all want to be rebels. That's just the way it is, you know. Don't think everybody wants to be curious now. But uh, but the thing was, in those days, I had these long wristbands like Lendl. You know, he was used to wear these long wristbands. And I even bought myself Lendl's racket because in my... My mind, I thought, okay, maybe I can imitate Lindell because I cannot imitate Macro. Yeah, and Macro was beyond was beyond that. I mean, he was in some, it was like Merlin with a racket, you know, <laughs> in a bad mood. And uh, so, I mean, he was a he was a different type of player. But I I can remember again. I, I'm look, I'm 56. I can't remember this stuff. But I remember one semi final at Wimbledon where Lendl was playing really well against Becker, and I think there was a rain break. Yeah, and then when they came back, two sets when they came one, back. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was, he was playing, I can remember him uh, playing really well. And, um, you know, you, you have bad luck and that's what happens. But I'm, I think, you know, the sport deserves to have a certain amount of heartbreak. And I do believe that, I don't like this uh, phrase, you know, X person deserves to win this. No, I think the only person who wins is the person who deserves it. You know, I, I think it's, you know, he tried. I, I admire Lendl for trying. 
you know, for 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 having coaches uh, who were good on grass by by trying to learn how to volley. He was never a good volleyer, of course, and um, but he tried. I mean, it was, and he was. I don't think he was ever. Uh, if my memory serves me right, shy about the fact that he really wanted to win Wimbledon. I mean, there was. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember boxing too many things about the U.S. Open, but I think that was a era when I just, we didn't have enough information, so I don't yeah. know. So yeah, that's again um, that kind of segues to my next uh, topic because you just mentioned Kyrgios and you know in the McEnroe day he was a bad boy Nastasi and Connors and they said so many things but like you said there was very limited information there weren't microphones everything that was said on court wasn't yeah. picked so where do you stand on Nick Kyrgios I'm not saying the guy is a saint I mean he's a young man who makes mistakes and sometimes it's very easy to be on either just you know he polarizes the discussion like no one has in tennis you know there's no middle ground with Nick where do you see him when you compare to uh, the history of tennis that you witnessed and you think sometimes in this day of uh, twitter and social media you know we are too harsh on him or he is getting what he you know what's coming his way he deserves it look i mean in a, as a general comment i think of course there is a level of lunacy on social media which is i mean i'm really glad i'm not 21 years old let me put it that way okay i'm not a big fan of social media even though i am on it like, so I think people are incredibly cruel. Let me put it that way. And uh, <clears throat> I really don't know what to think of Kyrgios anymore. I, I, met, I even met him once very briefly for maybe five, six minutes in Singapore for a short interview. And he was like, really, I, you know, I don't give a shit. You know, that sort of attitude. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I can't understand him. Let me put it this way. You know, I think with m- most other athletes, you think we never understand athletes. We always think we do, but we never do completely. But with him, actually, I, I feel I have no understanding of him. I don't know what he wants, what has happened to him, why he's like this, uh, why does he play tennis? Because does he like this game also? I mean, if he if he, if he doesn't like it, why is he playing? Well, he's making money out of it or whatever. I don't know. I, I felt that I always feel... Uh, you know, not everybody in tennis can be Roger Federer, right? So you need guys who are a little bit off, so to speak, you know, who are going to do some odd things. And, you know, I have no issue with racket breaking to a point uh, or whatever it is. But I think some of the tanking, mm, problematic, uh, not a big fan of. And of course, I think what she said to Warrington, I think, put a lot of people off. Yeah, I mean that was so, exactly that's yeah. So, so that I feel that there's always a line that you know you do what you want, but you know, don't do it with another player. So I, I, that is it a bit sad? Yes, of course it's a bit sad because he's, he's this this young man, you know, with 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 talent. I, I don't want to, you know. I also feel people just go crazy about his talent. You know, oh man, he should be winning slams and this that. They are not so easy to win slams. But talent, of course, you know, he, he can play lots of shots, you know, he's got a beautiful serve, seems to be a decent athlete. Uh, so I let, think, you know, let me ask you something recent. I, I don't know if you follow the results. He just beat Nadal a couple of nights ago in a very, yeah, 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 in yeah. A very testy match. And, uh, you know, uh, Nadal <laughs> was up uh, three match points and yeah. then lo- very unceremoniously or un-Nadal-like lost five points in a row. And then the Kirio celebration, the handshake was cold and then they both uh, took some jibes at each other in the press. So yep. in that kind of scenario, you think uh, Kirios no respect. Again, no respect. Like He's not disrespecting, but he's just... He's basically the same uh, attitude-wise, the way he's going to behave against Federer or Nadal, or he's going to behave against say, Malik Jaziri. And a lot of people believe that no respect attitude is the reason why he has won six out of those uh, ten matches against Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. So, what's your take on that? I mean, uh, is, 
ஒருத்தருக்குறாங்க <laughs> I don't understand how a underhand serve is disrespectful you know this is a perfectly legitimate tactic you know but i saw that there was some you know uh, debate over that yeah i think that's so, the point rohit uh, let, let me add some context because i watch uh, the last two sets of the match and you're right underhand was talked more on social media and everybody had a, a gif ready that this is what people should do and even federer was asked in press but i think the contentious part was there were a few times in the match when uh, kirios was ready to serve he even once served an ace and adal wasn't ready i think that's the part that got contentious because kirios in press said that uh, in tennis you play at the server's pace and a lot of time at the server's pace yeah and a lot yeah. of time is the other way around when you playing adal and adal said you know nick is great talent and everything but he doesn't have he has zero respect for the game so i think that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. Uh, so your thoughts on that and then uh, secondly uh, uh, another layer to this question is sometimes we forget like when someone loses in a very tough battle that's why sport is like such a live theater and sometimes i'm sure players wish they hadn't said what they said after the match because they're humans yeah i mean i i, I think that we've got to uh, i mean i was i was surprised by nanal's comment in the sense that nanal doesn't uh, does he usually say these sort of things no but he was pretty harsh on him and uh, maybe he deserved it you know i'm i'm okay with that i mean uh i think you know he must have felt disrespected he also also lost of course but uh I, I, see the thing is that this generation of players have has produced an in, in, in incredible standard of behavior that that's that i find very interesting because i feel in modern sport that's not always the case when well, i think federer has set a certain tone and nadal has been really good and djokovic i think has been wanting to follow that uh, tone as well so i i think it's there's respect out there some say there's a little bit of fakery i don't know i don't care as long as you're behaving you know in a decent manner that that's that's important to your sport but at the same time you've got to understand that these athletes are playing in a high pressure environment it gets a bit much it is emotional they are playing for you know you're playing for big prizes so i mean there's going to be some you know pe- people are going to have bad handshakes as i always look at it like I, i'm interested in patterns so he so you know guy has a spat on court or he says something to empire or he breaks a racket or whatever i'm cool with that i mean i but if i see a pattern of behavior and i see the guy justifying everything he does then i look at a player differently but i think it happens once in a while i i mean, I, i think that's fine because i think you're a human being you know this is what's going to happen let me put it this way i always look at it that if i was 21 years old or no not even 21 if i was 20 years old and i had like microphones pushed into my face every day and everybody was taping what i was saying i would talk a lot of nonsense man because i talked a lot of nonsense when i was 20 so you know it's doesn't matter how much you tutor them or you know give them media training they're still young people out there you know i mean i like sisipas for example she tweets all sorts of stuff i i, I think it's interesting i don't judge him to ashni my god what does this mean how oh, this is so stupid or whatever 
It's just a young guy being himself. Yeah, let him just do what he wants. And, and you know, this kind of is very interesting. What you kind of uh, mentioned there, because Ernest Gulbis, another big personality, big mouth of tennis, said few years ago that the big mistake is because Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray—they are also boring because they are so PR bots. They're saying the same thing again and again. But again, uh, like you said, we live the the Becker uh, and you know the other era where McEnroe and Becker were sometimes you know press conference were like an after match. Extension and there were comments being exchanged. So I think it's just an evolution. Maybe that time will come again if uh, Nick Kyrgios and Sasha Zverev and some of these guys Sitsipas, if that's the successors and they are maybe it won't be all harmonious. But I think uh, this uh, the big three, you know, uh, the classy act and uh, I, I, you know I'm not saying this is bad. I think uh, this is fine too. I think just like anything else, this has a place in itself. Look, I mean. I think anybody who complains about Federer, I'm thinking, go watch something else, man. Because I mean, I, I feel, a, of course, the way he plays is so utterly beautiful that you know. Because I didn't really think that somebody could play like that in 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 this fast and powerful game, you know, play with that level of feel. And I think Federer in the press room, I don't find him boring. I, I what I really like about Federer is that you can almost you can ask him anything. And I, I mean, he'll he'll answer it. You can ask him about women's prayers. You can ask him about you know anything. I, I think he he tends to answer most things that you put before him, and that's really what you want uh, from a champion. Isn't that nice? And you know, I, I don't find him surly or saying I'm not answering that or you know next question or stuff like that. So I mean, I I, I mean, Gulbis is Gulbis. So I mean, <laughs> let's 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 not go, even go there. So I think you need a mix. No, we want a mix. We, we want guys like Federer and Narali. Maybe one different kind of guys. And I think it's nice. I, I think because again, as I said I'm 56. I'm a little old fashioned. I like respect for the game, which is giving you many things. I like respect for fans. I'm a big. I really feel our fans can be incredibly stupid at times, but I feel that must have respect for fans and for the game and institutions and history and stuff like that. Matters. Uh, all right, so let's uh, keep uh, this little more historical uh, as well. So obviously you've talked a lot about Becker and you know you've clearly stated how Federer is a delight to write about. What are some of the other players that you've enjoyed writing about over the years and uh, for what reasons? Oh boy, what's a tough one. Uh, Sellers, <laughs> you mentioned Sellers. Yeah, Sellers, of course. I still think the Sellers graph match that I watched in the French eight six in the third eight six in the third was it I or ten eight eight six I think ten eight I think ten eight okay ten eight. I I still think that's the best tennis match I've ever seen, and. Um, I think, um, yeah, I like to write about Stylis because she played tennis in a very funny manner. And I, uh, for good or bad, uh, I, I like, I, I'm a bit descriptive in my writing. So it's, it's nice to write about uh, somebody, you know, with double handed on both sides, a little bit awkward in a way. Um, graph, of course. Um, oh man, this is a tough one, actually, trying to say who I like to write about. Um, who do I like to write about? Throw some names at me, man. I mean, there have been a lot of players like Sampras has been there, Agassi. I love Sampras. I was a big Sampras fan. Big Sampras fan. Love that serve. Love that second serve. And I like bowling. And I think him against Agassi, when they played well, they, 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 they had some really good matches. Nice. Again, you know, what we want from sport, you know. And so there's contrast, a different type of people. Uh, everybody said he was uh, deadly boring. Not for me. And uh, I, I just found his game fascinating in itself. 
the other guys a bit. I, right, let me, so, let me it, bring a current question. A lot of people, you know, say Federer Nadal rivalry because of all the contrasting reasons, lefty, righty, and whatnot is there. But uh, uh, but I, I'm one of the few who argue that the Federer Djokovic rivalry is as up there because those matches have been very competitive over the years. But I'm not a writer. I'm, I just consume tennis. So how do you break down the Federer Djokovic rivalry from a prism of a writer? Well, I, I mean, I think that's in, uh, Federer Djokovic is interesting because obviously there is some niggle there. I mean, they are, they, they. I mean, the niggle they, is old news now, right? I think they get along. But I'm just saying their matches have been very competitive. Yeah, you, you're right. Some of the niggle or some of the feistiness that was there post 2011 uh, US Open, you know, was there for a few years. But I think overall, just from the tennis perspective, uh, how do you yeah, see that matchup? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think eventually, uh, yeah, but hard for me to. To look at that beyond Nadal, because I just felt Federer was always trying to solve Nadal, and that's why for me that 2017 Australian Open final was, uh, which I was lucky to watch, was one, one of the most incredible things that I had seen. But I tell you, the rivalry that is my favorite is Borg and McEnroe because it was only I think seven, seven, fourteen matches, and I think in a way uh, this is going to be this is going to sound almost absurd, is that maybe in a way these guys play each other too often. I, I love the fact that, you know, uh, wait a minute, Djokovic Nadal is like 50-something matches. Yeah. And whereas I can almost remember every match in, you know, Borg versus McEnroe, they were like big matches and big moments. So is, so is it with these guys. But there were very few. I kind of like that. I, I, I Sometimes I almost think that you don't want to play too much. There has to be some level of anticipation. But they are like... So good, they're playing each other almost every week or every two yeah, weeks, I think, every yeah, month, whatever I, it is. I'm also with you a little bit because of, you know, I sit on the side of nostalgia myself. And growing up, Becker-Lendl was a rivalry I idolized the most and those matches were very intense. But again, uh, I think uh, uh, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, their longevity at the top, I think is also the reason why all these men have squared off more than like yes, 30, 35 to 40 no times. Question. Yeah. No, no, no question, no question. The longevity has really pushed... I think the best match I've seen of these guys, or my favorite match, uh, was a Rome final between Nadal and Federer, where I think Federer had a lot of match points, didn't maybe five match points, and didn't convert. And those days, Rome was uh, five sets. That for me is my is my favorite match, even more so than the Wimbledon final in two thousand and eight. Okay. Everything is a blur, man. Sure. No, 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 Roy, thanks for, I mean, chipping in for all these answers. I'm sure everybody who's going to tune in is going to enjoy it. So let's carry on. So I know you are also a tennis fan. So are there any, is there any change that you would like to see uh, at the sport uh, overall level? I mean, uh, there's a lot going on. Like Davis Cup has now a new identity and there's a shot clock in there. Is there anything else you would like to see or uh, where tennis stands? Are you okay with it right now, with the way the sport is? Uh, I like the shot clock. I don't like the fact that uh, the surfaces became homogenized. I don't like that at all. I mean, I, I, I much preferred Wimbledon when it was a greasy surface or a low-bouncing low uh, surface. Uh, I think the surfaces are too even, which is why I think you can win on, you know, the, all these four surfaces better, you know, I wouldn't say easier, but, you know, that I think each surface is going to have a very, very, very specific challenge. I think some of that has been lost. I don't like that. Uh, I feel I, I would I would plead with coaches to teach uh, young players how to volley and come through the net. I can't understand how having an additional skill can hurt you. I, I don't understand it. 
obviously coaches know far more than i do but it, it seems strange to me that that so many of them just don't know how to volley um and uh, what it's uh, yeah the davis cup i feel you know it's a complicated thing but i loved the davis cup and i loved uh, home advantage i love the idea of you know teams coming to your country uh, to play and i love that because i think it spread tennis and it brought players who you'd never otherwise see to your country which is how basically you spread the game and it made for all sorts of you know the whole legend of uh, i mean uh, leander pace leander pace is you know such a awkward player with, with like so many flaws he was incredible the davis cup i can't even i can't even describe it what it was like in you know in 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 early 90s in india how he used to play davis cup he was like a lunatic i mean it was so much fun to watch you know and uh, so the, i mean are we never going to see anything like that again because we're all playing you know in in one city or whatever and too many cups going on uh, the yeah. other thing that re- really irritates me i think i mentioned to you before is this whole goat debate that's my that's the thing that irritates me the most because i think that just using one number how many grand slam titles you want to decide it is just i find i find it i find it ridiculous to be honest and do you think it's also uh, somewhat uh, belittling the players of the past because this era is different than the previous eras Yeah of course I mean I mean I mean Martina and Chris have said it so many times they weren't counting slams they were playing every tournament you know uh, they were trying to build their tour they were playing every tournament hard uh, I'm sure you know Rod Laver you know he, he left the tour and became a pro and missed so many grand slam titles you know what so we don't count those I mean it's it's just become this arbitrary thing I don't know I don't even think in the Becker era anybody was counting you know and um, you have to look at so many things when you're looking at a great player you know and it cannot be just one number oh he's got 20 he's got 17 if he overtakes him he's the greatest player i mean seems uh, seems like a very one-eyed one dimensional view of greatness i think you've got to look at all the services you've got to look at the head to head you've got to look at i mean look at federer's you know uh, consistency uh, at the slams you know how many uh semifinals in a row how many quarterfinals in a row all those things do they not matter do 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 the masters not matter how, how can it be i mean it doesn't make any sense to me yeah i think this is uh, this is again uh, no matter what side of the fence you sit on this is uh, become a very different uh, conversation in and and tennis in the tennis twitter and tennis world uh, and i tell you another thing sorry i just interrupt you sakir i'm sorry is that i i don't like the fact that you know the only thing about the federer nadal rivalry that i have not liked is one set of fans diminishing uh, the rival player to you know push up their own player so you know uh, nadal fans will diminish federer and federer fans will diminish nadal and i'm thinking these two players don't diminish each other why are we behaving in in this manner and you know and uh, are not able to enjoy them both and eventually in the end the key about sport is you will like a particular player because of what he means to you it has nothing to do eventually with how many slams he wins your favorite is because that guy has a certain music in his game or something about him which appeals to you that's it you know yeah. it doesn't matter for me how many slams djokovic wins federer appeals to me in a particular way right and same way for a djokovic fan even though he's not even won as many titles as uh, federer yet there's something that djokovic does for that person that's it now what is this 
player do for me in any sport and that's all that matters i think uh, i think uh, exactly we can we can talk about it endless but uh, the flip side of uh, the social media and this direct interna- you know interaction between different fandoms is this because it gets personal and sometimes they start owning the player while the players all get along you know and we all are guilty of you know taking one player side but then the the advantage is you know the for 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 a nobody like me you know i get to connect with people like you carl bialik mark woodford jonas bjorkman so you know we live in this world where social media has many advantages and i think this tennis fandom war is sometimes gets a little old but it's also fun but I, but I, i see what you're saying <laughs> you know it's it's yes. it, it's a combination of a lot of things so let me ask you one thing i know uh, before the show we started recording you said you're not close to the indian tennis scene but as someone who's a tennis fan growing from india growing from india the serve and volley days are you surprised that you know the year is 2019 and india still hasn't produced a top 50 singles player so i think what's interesting about india is that we are seeing so many different types of athletes that we didn't see before uh the asian games a lot of uh, track and field athletes did well uh, even though you did have pt usha in the old days um you know there are badminton players uh there are rowers i think who did well there are all sorts of athletes so that is quite fascinating for me because i i i grew up in a time when you know we had uh, cricket cricket and cricket and of course a little bit of uh, leander and vianand the chess player and you know and i mean you know women boxers mary com nowadays i mean it's fantastic it's nice to watch so maybe from somewhere tennis player is going to emerge so you think uh, i heard a lot, lot of time a uh, long time ago on tv i think macandro brothers said something that uh, after rodic we haven't had tennis players and those were the days when they were talking a lot what happened to american greatness and they said uh, part of the problem is tennis is a second tier sport the top talent goes to hockey basketball baseball and football so maybe similarly in india the top talent goes to uh, cricket and then even uh, indian soccer which may not be prominent at the world level it's a huge following in india so maybe some of the young young kids are just going in other sports because i don't see many indians coming out because i've been going to tournaments and even the junior ranks there's just uh, and then there's this inclination to play more doubles there's nothing wrong with doubles but we haven't really seen the singles player yuki bambri is there but he's been perennially injured and ramkumar ramanathan yeah. seems like the best guy to come out of the yeah. system for some time yeah i i'm not sure i completely agree with you about the best talent going to cricket but yes I mean obviously everybody wants to do well in cricket because that's where the fame is and that's where the money is and of course even if you play one season of 2020 you know you 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 can make a great deal of money you can change your family's life and that's a, in a way is quite a wonderful thing I quite like that um but I think that there's a sizable population in India so I think there there are enough people to go to many different sports so it depends i mean so as i said i'm i'm speaking out of a little bit of ignorance here i mean i don't know how many tennis setups there are in india how many coaches there are how many physios there are what's the level of training to make somebody into a great athlete i mean those are the things that you really need and of course you need lots of lots of numbers and uh, so I, i have no idea what's happening at at, at that level you know whether we have, we have a we're trying to put a production line into place sort of factory and it's happening i don't i don't see it hmm. uh but but i i wouldn't know for sure okay lord so let's conclude this podcast uh, and talk about you know how i you know got introduced to you with your writing so uh, what do you think has gone uh, different in the world of sports writing today because Uh, there's a very different way of uh, you know these articles being fed to the uh, audience and their blogs of course there's quality writing but 
uh, overall a writing space has become small, a lot of clickbait, buzzwords, sometimes there are publications who are just using, uh, you know, deceptive headlines, uh, using a comment from Nadal or Nadal's uncle, vice versa, from long time ago, and when you read the article, there's nothing there. And then there's an old school writing like yourself, who have been doing, you know, or uh, Steve Flink is still writing about tennis, Louisa Thomas mm. uh, writes for the New Yorker, so there's still a lot of quality writers, but overall, where do you stand with the way the writing is going in the sport? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's blame editors, but uh, I, I yeah, people, you know, I'm lucky. I have a boss who pretty much lets me write how I want, which some people like and some people don't, which is fine. But um, I think there, there, there are some good writers out there who I enjoy. I mean, I think Louisa Thomas is, 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 is special. I love the way she writes and uh, could read her any day at any time. I like John Wertheim a lot. I think his mailbag is one of the best things in tennis. I think he's such an even person i think he argues subjects very well and evenly i like that um, uh, i like courtney newen who works for the wta who, who really works incredibly hard to get us stories about women athletes and women tennis players which i think is incredibly important i have a daughter i even had a granddaughter so i'm very interested in in, in stories about women athletes and um, yeah but I think, you know, Rex Bellamy, who I mentioned earlier, this was to work for the Times London, I think. I'm not sure. I think so. So, right, so beautifully. I mean, I don't know if newspapers will allow that now. They they, they want scoops or they want, you know, the news, hard news and analysis. And sometimes, uh, but sport is a very beautiful thing, you know, and we should capture that. We should not let it go, you know, the, the characters and the places and the history and... Um, I still didn't think there's, you know, obviously place for long-form journalism. You know, I, I, I occasionally read, what's a, okay, this is my memory suffering here. What is an, a Brian Phillips? You know, Brian Phillips writes just, I mean, so, I'm in awe of all of these guys. So I let mean, me I, ask you, let, let me ask you a different question then, uh, because back in the day, and, uh, you know, the writers you mentioned, people talk about a match and what happened in a match. And, you know, that's what the sport is. Of course, we should talk about, you know, something that's controversial or something that player A or B did wrong or something that the authorities are not doing or maybe the activist part of sport. We should also follow those narratives. But I, I find like there's a great divide. There's certain writing styles that will just find, you know, these kind of investigative stories in sport. And then there are very few people who are actually writing about the game itself, how the match was. It looks like a lot of those, uh, again, no names, but a lot of uh, writers have just checked out. They don't want to talk about the match. They'll talk about maybe if an umpire came down and helped Kyrgios. They want to talk about the X factor, you know, that's taking away mm. from the tennis. Uh, do you feel mm. the same way? Do you think the, there's like a great divide in terms of reporting? I think that basically, I, I, find, uh, I find there's a lot of reliance on quotes. Uh, which sometimes can be for me a bit dull because athletes don't always have something entertaining to say. And I think writers should put themselves out there, you know, and try different things and write in different ways. And um, But I said, it depends. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether editors allow you to do some of the things and everybody's looking at how many pages you've got. And so maybe you have to do the type of stories which get you page views, not necessarily the type of stories that you want to do or you think people want to read. Sure. So it, 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 it's complicated. But I think, look, they are very talented uh, 
writers out there. I mean, you know, in the press box, and you know, I tell you, one of the sad things for me is that, of course, that uh, you can't uh, read. I can't read in. I can only read tennis. That is tennis that is written in English. You know, I, I wonder, you know, what French writers are writing, what Spanish writers are writing, all that sort of stuff, which I'm sure is quite fascinating. So, so that I don't know. So, no, on that yeah. note, if you ever have a chance, check out our site, Tennis with an Accent, and our own Matt Zemek, who I partner with on this podcast on the website. He's, I think, okay. a very old school, and you know, he he writes quality articles. Again, I'm kind of a biased voice because I have partnered with him, but uh, oh check his work out. Okay. And uh, I like Steve. I, I like Steve Tigno. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's definitely I like one him. of them. I so, mean, these guys are. I mean. I feel a little bit in awe of them because I think these guys are all different levels of writers. Tigno, of course, I think knows the game hundred times better than I do. Uh, Brian Phillips and Louisa, Louisa Thomas, I mean, the command over the language is is phenomenal. So for me, it's great. I mean, in a way, these uh, to read these people is like an education. So that's very nice. So last question. So what is an advice Rohit Bridnath will give to any young tennis writer who's going on to these tournaments? How to go about picking a match or what should he write about? Should he just focus on uh, a big story and the main code or should he just capture the match of the day? What are, what are some of your tips if you want to impart as we conclude this podcast to any budding writers who are going to these tournaments? So one of the things I always like about sport is I always, I always think young writers should go and watch practice. I think you learn a lot of things in practice. Uh, you know, just about players. I, mean, I always, I've always liked to watch athletes in all sports when they're practicing because nobody goes to watch them practice. You know, and and you see, you actually see athletes hit shots which you'll never see on the court because they do amazing stuff in practice. And I like, and I think I understand athletes better in practice on how much they're willing to give to be great. Uh, so that's one thing which is um, never for me comes across strongly enough. I don't think people uh, often go and watch practices different at a Grand Slam event so um, than, than going to somebody's base and watching. What would I want to read? Um, I like small details. I like writers who capture small details. All sorts of uh, things I want the writer to I want to know that the writer is there at that event and then I want to know things that I can't see on television the television is showing me one thing the camera is showing me one thing but there are so many other things happening which I think need to be caught at least that's what I tell my younger writers I said if I'm going to send you to an event then you need to tell me something that I can't see you know uh, maybe just away from the court or you know, the cameras on one player and what's happening somewhere else and uh, just little sketches you know uh, I, I think uh, a match report should be full of little sketches that's the way that's what I would like to read I know that was uh, very valuable and I'm sure uh, anyone who's from uh, my background and my generation you know growing up in India will definitely enjoy this but I think you give plenty uh, for any tennis fan in this podcast I'm so grateful you came here I enjoyed this and hopefully we can do this again sometime thanks for doing this yeah, thank you for having me I hope uh, I hope um, I've said something vaguely sensible that's all